I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. Today I speak with Henry Jempel about the collaborative initial glaucoma treatment study. The eye pressure has tended to be lower in the surgical arm. We believe is that in the surgical arm, you do the surgery and the pressure goes as low as it's going to go. In the medical arm, one generally just increases the medication until one reaches the target. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CMA activity. Henry Jempel declares ownership of equities now again. You can now get Category 1 CME credit for listening to As Seen From Here. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the link marked CME. For right now, you'll need to print the quizzes out and mail them in. We hope to have electronic versions of the quiz available by the end of this year. Big news for iTunes users. You can now get As Seen From Here through iTunes. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the iTunes Users link. Then click the subscribe button and you're done. The management of a patient with newly diagnosed glaucoma is greatly influenced by the part of the world in which he is being treated. In the United States, initial management usually consists of medical therapy. In Europe, many more patients undergo surgery as first-line therapy. Surgery carries the dual advantages of less reliance on long-term patient compliance and, if medication can be avoided entirely, much less cost over the lifetime of the patient. Medical therapy has the advantages of a more titratable intraocular pressure control and no surgical risk. Which initial course of therapy is best? Since 1993, the Multicenter Collaborative Initial Glaucoma Treatment Study, or CGITS, has sought to answer that question. Henry Jempel is the primary investigator in a study of the preoperative complications of trabeculectomy in CGITS. I asked him to describe the design of the collaborative initial glaucoma treatment study. It is a multicenter randomized clinical trial. The purpose was to compare trabeculectomy surgery versus topical medications as the initial treatment for glaucoma. Patients who met the uh, entry criteria, visual field change or elevated intraocular pressure with clear optic nerve damage were randomized to either trabeculectomy surgery or initial medications, uh, and then they were followed. An important secondary goal of the study was to compare the quality of life between those who were randomized to medication and those who were randomized to surgery, uh, and that was uh, achieved by administering a telephone interview, which lasted approximately 45 minutes and consisted of several pieces of different quality of life instruments, and then the patients were interviewed at six-month intervals. How many patients participated in this study? Well, there were, I believe, 607 participants in the study, and uh, very close to 50% were randomized to initial surgery and 50% to initial medical treatment. The patient was the unit of randomization, and the patient could either have one eye that qualified or both. And certainly there were many patients in which both eyes were enrolled in the study. Both eyes needed treatment. How many study centers were there? It was uh, 14 centers. For the purpose of the CGIT study, what defined glaucoma? 
if you had optic disc damage, and I believe that was a subjective call, uh, with glaucomatous visual field loss and intraocular pressure that averaged 20 or greater, you qualified. Alternatively, if there clearly appeared to be optic disc damage, and I believe the mean pressure exceeded 27, uh, then you also could be entered into the study. Were any of the initial trabeculectomies performed with antimetabolites? Uh, when the study was initiated back in 1993, mitomycin was still relatively new, and there wasn't much experience with it in eyes that hadn't had previous surgery. And so the use of 5-fluorouracil as an antifibrosis agent or no antifibrosis agent was at the discretion of the surgeon. There were a small number of eyes that nevertheless uh, received uh, mitomycin. The way that broke down in the study population that we evaluated was as follows. 57% received 5-fluorouracil, 38% received no antifibrosis agent, and 5% received mitomycin C. For the purpose of this trial, how did you determine what the intraocular pressure goal should be? Well, in the CIGTS study, there was a target pressure, and it was determined on the basis of a combination of the entering IOP and the amount of visual field loss uh, present. There was uh, an algorithm which uh, cannot be easily summarized, but the important point of it is that the percentage lowering of eye pressure that was required was a function not only of the initial eye pressure, that is the higher the eye pressure, the greater percentage lowering needed, but also the amount of optic nerve damage present. During the course of the follow-up, how were patients managed if their intraocular pressure exceeded goal? How were the patients who initially had had trabeculectomies managed if their pressure exceeded goal versus the patients who were initially started on medical therapy? How were they managed differently if their pressures exceeded goal from the trabeculectomy patients? Eyes that failed the initial arm, and failure needed careful confirmation. You could, one could fail by uh, inadequate intraocular pressure control. One could fail by reproducible visual field progression. In, in either the medicine or the uh, surgery group, if you failed, uh, you then moved on to laser trabeculoplasty and continued along uh, with that until you could not meet the pressure target or there was change uh, in the visual field, at which point you would cross over to um, what the initial what well, the initial treatment hadn't been. So it was trabeculectomy followed by laser, followed by medication or medication, followed by laser, followed by trabeculectomy. I understand that mitomycin was generally not used for the initial trabeculectomy surgeries. But if the patient had to undergo a second trabeculectomy surgery, I understand that at that point mitomycin was allowed. Mitomycin was allowed certainly for a repeat trabeculectomy uh, and was also allowed uh, if a trabeculectomy had failed in the first eye. So if a patient needed bilateral surgery, if the first operation hadn't worked, then in the fellow eye, mitomycin was allowed. 
Did one of the treatment arms, the patients who initially were treated with medical therapy or the patients who were initially treated with trabeculectomy, uh, did, did one of those treatment arms do better in terms of intraocular pressure control? Yes, the uh, eye pressure has tended to be lower in the surgical arm. And the reason for that is that we believe is that in the surgical arm, you do, you do the surgery and the, the pressure goes as low as it's going to go, uh, whereas in the medical arm, one generally just increases the medication until one reaches the target. So uh, one patient who had a target of 15 uh, and had surgery and the pressure went to 9, and uh, another patient with a target of 15 received medical treatment, then the pressure in that patient receiving medical treatment is likely to be 15 because the patient will be treated with medicine until the target is reached, whereas on the surgical side, you know, you do the surgery, the pressure goes lower than the target, and so overall, uh, the pressure would be lower in the surgical group. Did either treatment arm do better in terms of things like visual field loss or apparent optic nerve damage? No. The visual field results were similar in both groups, even though the surgery group had lower intraocular pressure. This is a somewhat different finding than was found in some of the other major randomized clinical trials, such as the Aegis study, where a tremendous deal uh, was made out of uh, differences in IOP uh, leading to different outcomes in terms of visual function, although it should be mentioned in the CIGTS study in both arms, really significant reductions in eye pressure were achieved, and overall in the study, there really was little visual field deterioration in either group. Obviously, the patient population from the advanced glaucoma intervention trial, the AGIS study, and this study were two completely different patient populations. That's absolutely true, and it's true for, for the other studies as uh, well. The AGIS group, I believe, overall had eyes that were uh, more severely damaged uh, than on the CG, CIGTS study, which was mainly looking at, at early glaucoma. It was untreated, undiagnosed. So the stage of the disease was different, and any conclusions one would want to draw about the effectiveness of various treatments has to take that into account. No, no doubt about that. Did the visual acuity outcome differ between the two treatment arms? The visual outcomes were really very similar long-term between the two groups, but the surgery group had a, a greater degree of side effects and symptoms within the first two years after surgery. One of the questions that I had reading this study is how in a multicenter surgical trial uh, can you standardize surgery? Well, uh, you can't standardize surgery, and uh, all you can do is uh, you can set up some guidelines. We had the surgeons view a videotape, but even in the most sophisticated surgical study, I mean, surgery is going to differ. There are going to be uh, surgeons are of uh, varying skills, uh, and even though things may seem to be being done the same way, you can't uh, assure that. So uh, we ha and uh, furthermore, in this study, we wanted it to be 
as generalizable as possible. We specifically included non-glaucoma specialists, community ophthalmologists, because we wanted to be able to have something that we could possibly be relevant to uh, someone outside uh, of an academic center. So uh, we could not standardize the surgery except to lay down certain ground rules. You had to do an iridectomy. And there were several uh, other stipulations, including the antifibrosis agents that we talked about. And as long as we're on standardization, one, uh, we could not standardize the actual observation and reporting of complications. That's very, very difficult to do. So we had, we had forms that, were, that, that had to be filled out at various time points after surgery, but clearly there was still a good deal of subjectivity in how surgeons uh, answered the question. You know, one, uh, one surgeon's hyphema was reported, the same thing observed by someone else was just considered inconsequential or not even noticed clearly a limitation. So what were some of the perioperative complications that you observed? Uh, well, you've got, the, you've got the, uh, the ones that are noticed intraoperatively during surgery uh, and the ones that are noted in the perioperative, and for us that was the first postoperative month. Uh, the most frequent complications intraoperatively that were noted were, well, far, far and away was anterior chamber bleeding. Uh, and then there were a number of problems associated with management of the conjunctiva, uh, such as buttonholes and uh, uh, wound leaks and subconjunctival uh, hemorrhage. But outside of uh, anterior chamber bleeding, there, there really were no devastating intraoperative complications in this group of what one would consider low-risk eyes because they had never had previous surgery and had never even had previous medication. In terms of post-operative uh, complications, the most common were serous choroidal detachment, anterior chamber bleeding again, uh, and shallowing of the uh, anterior uh, chamber. There also were quite a few encapsulated blebs numerous reports of, of ptosis and uh, wound leak as well. How many of the patients needed some other intervention, some subsequent procedure to manage a perioperative complication? There were four instances in where additional surgery was noted at the time of surgery. There was uh, one uh, scleral uh, flap that had to be repaired. There was a wound leak noted at the end of the surgery that had to be resutured. Uh, there was a partially transected extraocular muscle that had to be retached. Uh, and then in one case, uh, the chamber just didn't hold. The conjunctiva had to be taken down again, and additional sutures had to be put in the scleral uh, flap. Uh, in terms of uh, what happened after surgery, 15 eyes, which was 3% of the operated eyes, uh, needed additional uh, procedures. Uh, there were uh, nine uh, anterior chamber reformation procedures, which were done in the operating room or in the office, uh, and there were five wound leaks that needed to be uh, resutured. Those were the uh, principal post-operative complications that needed additional attention. 
36% of the patients from this study group were African-American. Did you find that the complications varied at all by race? Well, we did look at that uh, analysis, and we found uh, a few complications that seemed to uh, vary by uh, race. Ptosis was uh, more common uh, in uh, African-Americans, and anterior chamber bleeding uh, or hyphema uh, appeared to be uh, more common in uh, uh, Caucasians. This next question that I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask in a very wordy way because I, I, I can't think of a succinct way to say it. What was the rate of complications for the second eye of any patient independent of the uh, complication that had, had occurred to the, to the first eye? Let's say that a patient after trabeculectomy had um, experienced ptosis with the first eye. When trabeculectomy was done to the second eye, was that patient at an increased risk for ptosis greater than other eyes from the study? Uh, we did uh, look at the um, association of complications between the two eyes uh, of the same uh, patient, and for uh, six of the 25 complications that we studied, uh, there did appear to be a statistically significant uh, association uh, between the two eyes. That is, uh, the both eyes seem to have a complication much more uh, than would be predicted by uh, chance. These complications uh, were ptosis, marked inflammation, serous choroidal detachment, corneal problems such as Dallin, uh, shallow or flat AC, uh, and progression or new lens opacification. Uh, in particular, for ptosis, uh, statistically, given the prevalence of ptosis, uh, one would have uh, expected only two or three patients with ptosis in both eyes, uh, and in fact, uh, we noted 12. So this was uh, quite a striking difference. Now, there could be lots of reasons for that. Uh, one reason could be uh, uh, ascertainment bias. The surgeon had the complication in one eye and was uh, more sensitive and more likely to report it uh, in the uh, second eye, although it's certainly also a possibility that these are um, uh, patient-specific differences uh, and that... Um, uh, surgeons might want to adjust their technique if they run into such a complication in the first eye because this is, the pa this is a patient who is liable to have the complication uh, in the fellow eye. How did the complications from the CGIT study, from this study, compare to those of the advanced glaucoma intervention trial, the AGIS study? The AGIS study, as you recall, uh, was a study that uh, randomized patients on maximum medical therapy already uh, to either laser trabeculoplasty uh, or uh, trabeculectomy. We've already talked about how the patient population uh, was uh, uh, quite uh, different. Uh, in addition, there were, there were other differences. The uh, AGIS study looked at surgical complications for three months after surgery. We just looked uh, at uh, uh, one month, and furthermore, the AGIS study, which uh, occurred even earlier than this study, uh, there were no antifibrosis agents used. In spite of all those differences, 
it really was quite striking how similar the complication rates were between the two studies. Uh, for example, uh, encapsulated bleb 14% in AGES, 12% in CIDTS, 11% uh, uh, anterior chamber bleeding in AGES, 10% in CIGTS, and it goes goes on and goes on and on. So they're quite similar. With the data that you have now, can you determine if certain patient populations or demographics are better suited to trabeculectomy as initial therapy than other patient populations or demographics? One could look at the data here uh, and suggest that there were age and uh, race characteristics that were uh, more or less associated with certain complications, Uh, but I don't think that that would lead one uh, to conclude that uh, trabeculectomy as initial treatment for glaucoma uh, would be better performed in one group than the other. Uh, First of all, uh, the complications that we observed, uh, at least in the short run, didn't seem to be uh, site-threatening. One would like to know, have longer follow-up. Uh, and secondly, the complications are only one side of the equation, and the uh, effectiveness uh, of the therapy is, is on the other side of the equation. Uh, and so, in not having that information for you, uh, I really wouldn't want to make any recommendations such as to uh, you're more likely to want to do primary surgery on one uh, demographic group than the other. I don't think that the, I don't think the data uh, warrant any such conclusions. Have the results thus far of the CGIT study changed the way that you practice personally? The uh, overall results of the CIGTS study to date uh, have not altered my practice pattern, and I think that's because the burden of proof here uh, was really on the uh, surgical uh, side. And I think for a practice to possibly change, uh, the study would have had to have demonstrated that uh, surgery was uh, clearly better than uh, medications. But the results to date, if anything, uh, it's in the longer term a draw uh, and in the shorter term after surgery, there's equal effectiveness with uh, medicine with less side effects. So uh, that's the way that I interpret the study. Uh, however, uh, the result, the, the take-home message from the study, one of the take-home messages is that uh, you can do uh, glaucoma, you can do 465 trabeculectomies uh, reported uh, here, uh, without any devastating uh, complication. No, no one woke up the next day blind from the surgery. And I think there's an important take-home message because there are uh, patients uh, where uh, one wants to do surgery early because of intolerance to medication or other factors, uh, and uh, one can do it, and one can do it highly successfully. Henry Jempel, thank you very much. Thanks very much. Henry Jempel is Professor of Ophthalmology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. His paper, Perioperative Complications of Trabeculectomy and the Collaborative Initial Glaucoma Treatment Study, is in press in the American Journal of Ophthalmology. (music) 
ask questions of Dr. Jampel or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines. In the United States, dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom, dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website at seenfromhere.com. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.